Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Hello, SoundBite listeners. Happy New Year and welcome to 2020. My name is Corinne Pettit, and today we're celebrating our one-year anniversary with one of our initial speakers, Dr. Ronald Presick, who is a dermatologist and medical director of the Washington Dermatology Center in Rockville and Frederick, Maryland, which specializes in the treatment of psoriasis. He's also a former NPF medical board member who's conducting research around the effectiveness of diet changes in inflammatory skin diseases such as psoriasis. Today's discussion will focus on lifestyle choices that impact or reduce the inflammatory response associated with psoriasis and the risk of developing related health conditions. Well, welcome, Dr. Presick. Thank you for joining us for our anniversary episode. It's really nice to have you back. So last February, the American Academy of Dermatology and National Psoriasis Foundation launched the first of six guidelines around the management and treatment of psoriasis. One of those guidelines brought awareness and attention to comorbidities associated with psoriasis. Briefly, what are some of the related health conditions associated with psoriasis, and how important is lifestyle choices in development of such health conditions? Thank you very much for inviting me to come back and speak with you today. Patients with moderate to severe psoriasis have a systemic inflammatory disease, and I think it's really important that they understand this, and there are consequences of not treating their disease. And of course, in addition to psoriatic arthritis, patients with psoriasis have early mortality. So in the British Journal of Dermatology published in 2010, using the UK general practice database that patients with psoriasis live six years less than the general population, most commonly dying from cardiovascular events and secondarily from malignancies. So I think it's important that they understand those risks as well. Other uh, health Problems that they can have are metabolic syndrome, fatty liver disease, depression, inflammatory bowel disease, and, and there are quite a few other comorbidities that we have to uh, monitor for in our patients. It can be frustrating for patients with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis to realize that they have all these other things that they have to worry about. But the good thing is that a lot of these comorbidities can be reduced or managed with lifestyle and uh, health changes. Specifically, if patients lose weight, that should be very beneficial to their psoriasis and preventing psoriatic arthritis. Uh, if they avoid smoking, reduce alcohol intake, and uh, exercise uh, frequently during the week and regularly, I think that they will benefit from all these lifestyle and health changes. So you mentioned avoiding smoking and reduced alcohol intake. Why is smoking and alcohol called out in the guidelines? What's the evidence to support such attention? Well, let's first start with smoking. We know that smokers have a higher risk of having psoriasis 
And the heavier they smoke, the more frequently they smoke, the more likely they have a risk for psoriasis and even severe psoriasis. It's not fully understood why psoriasis is worsened with smoking. We know certainly for pustular psoriasis of the hand and feet, it's very common for patients to be smokers. But for plaque psoriasis, it's not quite as clear. Uh, we know that patients that smoke have more reactive oxygen species, and that's damaging to the immune system. And it puts a stress on the antioxidants in your cells. It uh, uses up the antioxidants predominantly. Uh, glutathione is a main one that is depleted with, with smoking, and that affects your immune system. Also, what smoking can do is it can affect the uh, dendritic cells and some of the other immune cells to produce inflammatory cytokines as well. So you get an activation of a lot of the inflammatory proteins that cause psoriasis when you smoke, and they're increased, and that's why there's an increased risk as well. So I think those are the main things that you have to know about with smoking. When it comes to alcohol, we also know that patients that drink a lot of alcohol, we found that with the Nurses' Health Study, nurses that drank more than two drinks a week had a 70% increased chance of having psoriasis over nurses that did not drink alcohol. Also, it was found that nurses that drank more than five non-light beers a week had a twofold increased chance of eventually developing psoriasis over time. It's not clear why that is. It could be because when you drink non-light beer, you might develop abdominal obesity, which is uh, pro-inflammatory as part of the metabolic syndrome. Perhaps uh, there is more gluten exposure. There might be also some micro or macronutrient deficiencies like low vitamin D, low riboflavin, low vitamin C and A, which all can cause some uh, abnormalities to the immune system. But it really hasn't been worked out yet exactly what the cause of uh, alcohol and the connection between alcohol and psoriasis is. We just know that there's a higher risk of developing psoriasis and having worse psoriasis over time in people who drink uh, frequent alcohol exposure. Well, that's really interesting. Is it correct to assume that smoking and alcohol could impact treatment choices? I'd say that people who smoke and drink alcohol, they're usually going to have more severe psoriasis and they might have more difficult to treat psoriasis. So I'd say that that might impact the fact that you might need uh, more aggressive treatments. Generally speaking, we look at all the comorbidities and decide if a patient has psoriasis but also psoriatic arthritis, we might pick one treatment over another. If patients have psoriasis and inflammatory bowel disease, we might pick one biologic over another biologic. So generally looking at comorbidities will help us guide our treatment options. So what lifestyle changes do you usually recommend to your own patients? I always talk about lifestyle changes with my patients because I think that it really can impact their overall health. We have quite a bit of data that it can help reduce the severity of the psoriasis and even prevent some of the comorbidities. Certainly stop smoking is number one priority. Also, patients are overweight or obese, they must lose weight. Reducing alcohol uh, is very helpful. I offer them an anti-inflammatory diet, and I talk to them about exercise. So we start out slow, maybe five minutes a day if they haven't exercised in a while, and then we build that up over time. 
I give them a YouTube called 23 and a half hours. It's a nine minute YouTube that gives you all the health benefits of exercise. And that's intended not just for psoriasis patients, but for everybody. So you mentioned diet as a potential lifestyle change. This is an area you've been conducting research in. And in fact, as you know, you published a paper called Diet and Inflammation in Dermatology, which summarized findings from a number of studies about the potential impact of dietary changes on the reduction of inflammation. So what's the connection between diet and inflammation and the development of immune-mediated diseases such as psoriasis? I think that to start with, when patients eat high glycemic index foods, they produce high insulin levels. High insulin levels mean that there'll be fat storage. As part of metabolic syndrome, when patients have abdominal obesity, those uh, fat cells actually don't just hold fat, but they're actually metabolically active. So patients who have abdominal obesity have more inflammatory cytokines that can trigger psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis if you have the genetics for it. So I think that it's very important to keep that in mind to avoid high insulin levels. Other things that uh, we know are that if people eat a lot of omega-6 foods and less omega-3 foods, that ratio of omega-6 to 3 can impact the immune system and cause more pro-inflammatory mediators. So that's important parts of uh, watching your diet and uh, looking out at what you eat. So you also mentioned metabolic syndrome and high glycemic index foods. Can you please elaborate on what the glycemic index is and how it relates to inflammation and psoriasis? The glycemic index refers to a value assigned to a food based on how quickly it raises blood glucose. The glycemic load gives a better idea of the food's impact on blood sugar as it also incorporates the grams of carbohydrates in the food portion. So the idea here is we don't want to raise insulin levels with the food we're eating because when you raise insulin levels, you will get fat storage. And fat storage can lead to central obesity and fatty liver disease, which causes a more pro-inflammatory state. So the more fat cells you have in the abdomen, the more likely you are to have inflammatory cytokines to give you an increased risk of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you mentioned omega-3 in the paper you published, indicating that 90% of all North Americans are deficient in omega-3. Why is this, and what's the correlation to the development of inflammatory diseases? Omega-3 foods are sources that uh, come from wild fish, specifically salmon and herring, and omega-6 comes from corn and soy, bread, and packaged goods and vegetable oils. So in the current North American diet, we have a lot of exposure to omega-6 foods and less exposure to omega-3 foods. So we call this ratio the omega-6 to 3 ratio. So uh, in prehistoric times, the diet we ate were about a 1 to 1 ratio. But now with the current North American diet, our ratio can be as high as 20 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3, and that causes more inflammation. How about gluten sensitivity, which is an area of concern for many people with psoriasis? Why is gluten associated with inflammatory diseases? What's the significance? Gluten's a storage protein that's found in wheat, rye, barley, and oats. And uh, the term gluten intolerance can refer to celiac disease, gluten sensitivity, or a wheat allergy. And it just so happens that uh, patients 
can develop a sensitivity or an actual allergy to this protein. It can be through the adaptive immune system where they can make antibodies or the innate immune system where they get gluten sensitivity but no antibodies. So if you're allergic to something and you eat it, it'll activate your immune system and that's the reason why people who have this uh, gluten sensitivity can uh, trigger other inflammatory disorders. There's also a theory that gluten itself, like lectins in, in beans and high fructose corn syrup, can damage the epithelial uh, cells within the gut and cause a leaky gut syndrome. And that causes antigens to enter uh, the immune system through the gut and trigger inflammatory autoimmune diseases. So do you recommend the gluten-free diet for people with psoriasis? There was a paper that was published in the British Journal of Dermatology in 2010, and they looked at patients with psoriasis who had antibodies to gliadin, and they found that 70% of them responded to a gluten-free diet after three months. Then they were put back on their normal diet, their psoriasis flared up. So there was a significant reduction in PASI. The patients who didn't have antibodies to gluten did not respond to a gluten-free diet. So I don't offer it to all our patients, but the patients who have a history of gluten sensitivity or have antibodies to gluten, it's certainly worthwhile doing. So if you could sum up diet recommendations for our listeners, what key points could you share? Well, I think the key points to diet for patients with psoriasis is to avoid high glycemic index foods. Uh, because you want to reduce your insulin levels and avoid metabolic syndrome and fat storage, specifically in the abdomen, because those cells produce inflammatory cytokines that make you more likely to have psoriasis development or psoriasis to become harder to treat. So avoiding high glycemic index foods is important. Also, reducing your omega-6 to 3 ratio is very important. So what I'd recommend is that patients focus on eating omega-3 foods and avoiding omega-6 foods like bread, corn, soy, and vegetable oils. They should focus on eating more omega-3 foods, cook with avocado oil, use olive oil, and I think those will be beneficial overall as an anti-inflammatory diet. Great. So you've spoken a lot about diet, but we can't forget to mention physical activity since that's part of lifestyle choices too. How important is being active and what's your overall recommendations that you give your patients? I think exercise is a very important part of good health. Exercise can um, improve your inflammatory cytokines. It can reduce depression. It can reduce cardiovascular risk factors. And so I think exercising for at least 30 minutes a day is very helpful. As I talked to you before, there's a YouTube called 23 and a half hours. That's a nine-minute YouTube, and it really goes through all the health benefits of doing something physically active for 30 minutes a day. We also have data on patients who have fatty liver disease, and fatty liver disease can respond to exercise three or four times a week by reducing a liver fat and reducing the, the progression to NASH, the more severe form of fatty liver disease. So for patients who have fatty liver disease, it's really important that they exercise. One other thing that they found in nurses' health study is that nurses that ran for 100 minutes a week, they had a 25% reduced chance of developing psoriasis over time. 
So that also gives you an idea of how important exercise is in preventing psoriasis in people who are genetically predisposed. Wow, it's pretty amazing. So this is a time when people are making resolutions for the new year. What final comments or recommendations can you give our listeners about lifestyle changes? Well, I would say that it's it's really important to to think of health and lifestyle as a long-term goal. There's a lot of people that join the gym in January and by March the gyms are empty. People just give up on it. So I think that you just have to change your mentality and think about it as like a gift you're giving yourself. Every time I work out, I feel like this is my time for myself and I feel like I worked hard all day. I think that if you think of it that way, I think you'll enjoy it more. If you haven't worked out in a long time, I'd say that just start with five minutes a day and kind of build it up. You don't have to uh, run marathons at the beginning. You just take your time and work it up. Try to find something that you truly enjoy doing because if you don't enjoy it, you won't do it. If you're social, uh, join the gym or, or try to find someone, a partner that you can work out with. I recommend people who haven't worked out a lot, especially if they have psoriatic arthritis, to hire a trainer or go to a physical therapist and learn about what they should do and not do so they don't injure themselves. And I think th those are are really important things. In terms of diet, we talked a little bit about trying to reduce your uh, glycemic index foods and increasing your omega-3 foods. And I think that if you do all that, I think you'll feel a lot better in a few months. And hopefully, you'll stop smoking and uh, reduce your alcohol intake. And those are all the key points to, uh, to proper health and fitness to have a better quality of your life. Well, thank you, Dr. Presser, for providing another very informative episode. The information you shared is really fascinating. I look forward to hearing more about your research and the impact of diet. A lifestyle factor we didn't discuss today, but really which is equally as important as diet and exercise is the need for sleep. You can learn more about the relationship between sleep and psoriatic disease, signs of sleep apnea, and eight tips to better sleep by requesting a healthy sleep quick guide through our patient navigation center. Request your free guide today by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or you can email us at education at psoriasis.org. Resolve to take your first step towards a healthier life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.